We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. That's Mark Wang. And we are here to give you our final thoughts on Oregon's week two win over the Eastern Washington Eagles. Man, Ducks come out with a uh, win in a big fashion, blowout fashion, I might add, 70 to 14. Um, man, this was uh, quite the game. Uh, first things first, though, Mark, how you living, man? Good to, good to see you again. Good to see you too, Max. Yeah, great to be uh, out of that game, uh, helping, to ro- helping to work it, being up in the box. Uh, always a fun time and uh, to get to go watch some Ducks football and uh, always a fun time to get to, uh, to talk about it. Absolutely. We have a lot to talk about here. Uh, definitely a, a little late getting uh, you know this podcast recorded, but wanted to get my thoughts, uh, get you guys our thoughts before we completely turn the page to BYU. Uh, depending on when you're listening or watching this, Dan Landing is scheduled to meet. All right, Mark, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you, yeah. Okay, now I can't hear you. Give me a second. I think my uh, my mic cut out. Yeah, uh, you cut out for a second there. Cool. Um, All right, can you hear me now? Yeah, can you hear me? All right, we're good. I, I like, moved my cord ever so slightly, but we're good now. We're back. Uh, we're here to talk about the Ducks. I was saying that Dan Lenny meets with reporters tonight. Uh, I think it's like 645, uh, so pretty late, uh, but we'll make sure to keep you guys up to date with the latest coverage there over on Ducks Digest. Um, so kind of just uh, wanted to get into our thoughts here, Mark. Um, I think we definitely need to start with the quarterback and Bo Nix and, and how he looked. Um, he was the first Oregon quarterback to throw for five touchdowns in a single game since Justin Herbert. So definitely in some elite company there. Final stat line for Bo Nix, 28 for 33, 277 yards, five touchdowns, and then perhaps the most important number of the night, no interceptions and no turnovers. What did you think about what you saw from Bo Nix? He looked a lot more comfortable. He even said so um, after the ge- after the game uh, during um, post game media availability. Uh, he said he felt more co- he felt more comfortable landing. Also mentioned that like they they tried going back to more of the basics, some more of the simple things uh, during this last week in practice, which I think was a which was a big part of Oregon's being able to remain calm to move the ball and to not try uh, anything too too complex or too major to to help at least keep the game plan yeah simple so that they could move the ball keep the ball and score which 
they did quite a lot because 70 points isn't exactly easy to put up. Yeah, they, they were super efficient on offense, and that was one of the questions that I had before this game was how effective and efficient are they going to be able to be on offense after just some crazy struggles in week one against Georgia. But as I think we can agree, a lot of people would say that pretty much everybody's going to struggle against Georgia. You know, they're definitely in that upper echelon, certainly looking like a top four uh, playoff team uh, in the country. I think they're actually the recent number one in the, the latest AP poll. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it, it was definitely a good game for Bo Nix. Uh, needed to get some confidence under his belt. Good to get a win uh, for him. Good for the Ducks to get a win in, in week one, or sorry, week two in their home opener uh, in Eugene. It, it was a very smoky day. So uh, I remember you and me were in the press box and we were saying, man, we're getting some ash on our on our laptops here. Uh, definitely a, a pretty ugly game, just uh, you know the setting. Uh, but, you know, Duck fans still showed out. They still tailgated. And, um, you know, it's still a really good atmosphere uh, in Odson overall. Um, I think when we're kind of just going off of Bo Nix's performance, uh, I don't want to move on from him too quickly, but the guys that he was throwing the ball to, they were having a a really, really strong day. Uh, A couple of guys that we definitely have to hit on here are are Troy Franklin and Terrence Ferguson. Uh, Terrence Ferguson only had three catches, but he had a pretty dominant showing. Three catches for 35 yards and two touchdowns. He scored the first touchdown of the year for the Ducks. Um, and then he had another one that I believe was actually on SportsCenter's top 10 plays uh, where he uh, bobbled the, the ball up in the air after an Eastern Washington defender got a hand on it. And then he tracked it. And then he you know bulldozed over a couple of defenders on his way to uh, scoring six points for Oregon. So, man, I, I loved what, uh, what we saw to Terrence Ferguson uh, against the Eastern. Yeah, him and all the, the Oregon uh receivers and, and the whole offense really was just clicking on all sil- was was clicking on all cylinders. I really liked that um Lanning and Dillingham had Bonix really spreading the ball the ball around. He didn't really have like his one go to guy that he was gonna go to, but he got his he got the ball into the hands of all of all different uh Ducks players, which is I think really important just to build that confidence uh for both the quarterback and the, the offense in general after that absolute shellacking from Georgia where you couldn't move the ball, you didn't get into the end zone. And now to that, that very next week to basically flip the script around and go from getting blown out to blowing your opponent out. Um, but yeah, uh, Ferguson had a great, had a really good game. Uh, that whole offense really just had a really good game because they were all clicking. Over 600 yards of total offense, Mark. Nine touchdowns from the Ducks offense uh, against the Eagles. Um, I've been really high on Terrence Ferguson since he was a recruit. I mean, the the way that he has transitioned to the college game has been really fun to watch uh, because he really even got used as a receiver at times in the high, at the high school level, getting flexed out wide, moved all over the place. But, you know, he, he's a really good dual threat tight end. You know, he's not just a blocker and he's not just a pass catcher. He carries his weight really, really well. I think he's, you know, both he and Malik are both 6'5", 6'6", in the 250 area, 250 range. Um, And he's just really, really starting to come into his own. Uh, Saw a lot of playing time last year. Both he and Malik did, um, which I think, you know, speaks to to the acumen of their game and and how how good they are as players. But the nice thing, too, for Oregon is that Terrence Ferguson wasn't the only tight end that was making an impact in this game. Uh, a couple other guys got got involved in that one. Um, maybe most notably is Cam McCormick, 
I mean, what a story for Cam McCormick. Um, you know, been at Oregon, what feels like forever. Uh, had some really brutal injury luck uh, during his time at the college level. But he's back healthy now. He, he scores a touchdown for the Ducks in that game, wearing Spencer Webb's number 18. Eastern Washington also put flowers out uh, on the – on the, on the field for Spencer to honor him before the game. And it really just felt like, you know, everything came together and it was a, a pretty nice story to see Cam get in the end zone there. Yeah. Seeing uh, McCormick get in the end zone after a lot of the injuries that he's had, a lot of struggles he's had. And then uh, just seeing him do that and to honor Spencer Webb uh, in that way was, was just really awesome. Was really awesome to see. I think even I was, uh, I, I know I was happy when he got uh, in the end when I, when he got in the end zone, uh, as were all those fans in that stadium. And then, yeah, real really classy act by Eastern Washington, uh, putting the flowers out uh, right before the game, just to 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 show their support for an Oregon program that uh, has been that has been hurting a lot since this since this summer and this being that first game back in Austin since uh, Spencer Webb's passing. I know definitely had. A special significance uh, for the Oregon Ducks as well. Yeah, Ducks are also wearing uh, a special helmet decal, I believe, uh, the four with a spider on on a on it for the remainder of the 2022 season. So, so that's great that they're able to you know put out a really good effort and uh, come away with a win uh, against the Eagles. Um, just to touch a little bit more on the the passing attack, I mean, the offensive line looked great. Um, Ryan Walk didn't look like he was available. Uh, and this one, so uh, Marcus Harper got quite a bit of snaps after a pretty strong showing against Georgia in week one. Even though the Ducks didn't get into the end zone, I thought he p- performed really, really well. Uh, and he had said as much, you know, uh, he was counting the days, you know, over a thousand days until he contributed. But as far as the offensive line, this one, uh, you saw Marcus Harper play a lot. And then um, Jackson Powers Johnson was, was back in action after uh, not playing against uh, the Bulldogs in week one. So Bo Nix was was not sacked in this one. Um, really good performance by the offensive line, one that they definitely needed. And I don't think that they were bad against Georgia. Um, it was just a, a rough day uh, for them, you know, especially with the turnovers that they battled early. It was kind of hard to get into a rhythm. But can we talk about Troy Franklin if we're going to talk about this offense? Because, man, have yourself a day, Troy Franklin. Ten catches for 84 yards and uh, a touchdown. Was the first wide receiver since Johnny Johnson in uh, 2019, I believe it was, to record 10 or more catches in a single game. And, uh, I mean, it's only two weeks, but through two weeks here, Mark, it, it looks like Troy Franklin's kind of establishing himself or at least making a pretty strong case as Bonex's go-to option, maybe even a wide receiver one. What do you think? I think you can absolutely make that that argument. Um, you know, you're looking. I'm looking at the stats. Um, Troy Franklin was buying away the 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 most uh, efficient uh, cat, um, catcher for the Ducks, or yeah, pass catcher for the Ducks, um, leading all the rec- leading all receivers uh, for that or for the Oregon Ducks team. Heck, actually leading all receivers just period. Ten catches, like you said, eighty four for a touch for a touchdown, including uh, that one or including the play with. Four with uh, 14 seconds left in the half uh, for Oregon to sc- to score and go into the uh, locker into the locker room with already a big lead and then Oregon just come back out and score and just continuing to absolutely pile to absolutely pile it on. 
uh, yeah, like they, he was absolutely, probably absolutely one of the key contributors for this Ducks team uh, to really get that offense going. Yeah, and he, he wasn't the only one that was, you know, getting involved in the passing game there. I think it was also encouraging because he was able to show that, you know, he's a physical guy, even though he's tried to put on weight throughout uh, the offseason. Uh, I thought he did a really good job of, of battling through some tacklers. Um, that, that is something good to see. And there were a bunch of different guys that recorded uh, catches here. But I think Troy Franklin, after seeing him last year, a lot of his catches were, you know, in the short area to intermediate um, I think he's someone that can really establish himself as a good deep option, as well as Dante Thornton, uh, who was second on the team with four receptions for 60 yards, had a long of 2020, uh, had a long of 22 yards. Uh, Chase Coda got involved. Byron Carball got involved. Caleb Chapman, the A&M transfer, Josh Delgado, Chris Hudson, just a really good day of, of distributing the rock for, for Bo Nix um, and uh, some of the other quarterbacks, because a couple other Oregon quarterbacks were able to, uh, get in on the action in, in this game, which I think was a really good uh, a good point that we can spend a little bit more time on. Um, but I, I definitely thought we had to talk about um, we definitely had to talk about uh, Troy Franklin just because he was just in his bag in that game and um, really encouraging to see him continue to step up as the Ducks are kind of still rotating a lot of receivers in, um, and he's making his case that uh, he's going to be there and be a consistent option for them. Absolutely, or um, I think Bo, I think for for confidence' sakes, for both Bonex and for this whole Ducks team, somebody had to get out there and really start establishing himself. Maybe not quite yet as the number one wide receiver, but someone that Bonex can consistently go can consistently be going to, uh, so that they can open up the passing attack instead of just having to rely uh, entirely on the run game. We can get into we might be getting into that a little bit later because. The running backs absolute, for Oregon absolutely went off um, in this game. But just seeing that uh, uh, Franklin was able to get uh, – Troy Franklin uh, – Troy Franklin was able to get uh, out – to get so open and being able to to create that consistency for the, for the Oregon Ducks was something that was really important. And then just being able to see uh, – not only Bo Nix's uh, chemistry with the receivers, but also for the other two quarterbacks, uh, Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield, both of whom saw uh, considerable action. And I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty telling uh, for both Ducks, for Ducks fans as well as the quarterbacks uh, how loud of a reception Ty Thompson got when he ran out on the field in the th- in the third quarter. I like I knew that the Oregon fans at Autumn were going to be excited to see Ty Thompson. I didn't think it was going to be that loud though, because <laughs> it was pretty loud. Yeah, I was kind of. I think you and I are in the same boat as far as you know. We were both a, a little surprised to see Bo Nix still in the game, uh, with how much uh, you know how how big the margin that the lead was for Oregon. But uh, if you were at Autzen, you definitely knew that Ty Thompson was coming in the game because the whole crowd erupted in cheers. Um, this was a moment that a lot of fans have been waiting for since the Alamo Bowl when, when Oregon, you know, was obviously not going to be able to hang around in that game against Oklahoma. And when I say obviously, I mean the game was kind of decided at that point. Um, not a lot of whole, not a whole lot of benefit of keeping Anthony Brown in that game. Uh, then a lot of fans were upset that Ty Thompson didn't come in in the Georgia game when, when that game was, was way uh, out of reach um, against the Bulldogs. So um, I thought Ty looked good. Um, the biggest thing I feel like with Ty is, 
that dude just has a rocket. I mean, com- compared to, to Bo Nix, I just feel like there's so much. The ball looks so lively coming out of Ty's hands. It gets there in a hurry. Um, you know, maybe we want to see him reading the defense a little bit faster, but those are that was so relieving to see, I think, from an Oregon perspective, because a lot of times last year and even the, earlier this year, you know, uh, some of the younger guys, particularly quarterback with Ty and Jay, haven't been able to get into the game. So for, for Dan Lane to, to show the confidence and Kenny Dillingham and the rest of that staff to show the confidence and Ty to, to get him some snaps is, is absolutely huge. And I think that it's only going to bode better for Oregon moving forward because this was, I mean, we, we I can't predict the future, Mark, but this was probably the last really reasonable chance they're going to have to, to get some of those younger guys in. And that was one of the notes that I had kind of just big picture was that a lot of young guys played in this game. A lot of true freshmen played in this game. We even saw Josh Connerly, the former five-star offensive tackle, uh, get into, you know, some passing sets and get some snaps under his belt um, in his Autzen debut. Uh, but yeah, we had to talk about the quarterbacks and just how great and refreshing it was to see, uh, you know, some of those younger guys get some snaps in there that they really need. And I think will go a long way in their development. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know um, a lot of fans were, were calling for, for Thompson to go in during that, um, that wash or that East, that Georgia game, excuse me. Um, and then to see him get the, get the snaps in uh, was really impressive. Yeah. His Thompson's final stat line, five of seven for 63 yards, uh, the completion rating of 71 and a QB and a QBR of 147. So not too bad. It's not too bad for for that limited for that limited action, and I think that's gonna that's gonna put some hope for Oregon uh, for Oregon fans just knowing that the that the QB position could be uh, solid for after Bo Nix after Bo Nix leaves or should Ty Thompson need to come in more uh, later in this later in this season. Yeah, we, so we're going to get to the running backs here in a second because we have we have to talk about the run game. It was a dominant showing there as well. Uh, but we got a couple folks here in the live chat. So if you guys are here watching live, definitely hop in the live chat, hop in the comments. Let me know what you guys think about this Eastern Washington game, how the Ducks fared, and then how you're feeling about um, about the BYU matchup coming up here. Um, we got Soccer Gauze says, Harper did well against Eastern Washington. Huge confidence boost for that guy. Um, and I'm not really that surprised to see Bryce Harper, or not, not Bryce Harper, Marcus Harper, excuse me, Marcus Harper the second. We're not talking baseball here. Uh, do well because he was someone that the last staff really uh, raved about quite a bit, and we saw him in kind of in that two deep uh, on a week in and week out basis. So um, I think for him to do well is is definitely good, just to show that you can kind of rotate some pieces in there on the offensive line. We also saw a lot of Dawson Jeremillo, who was a, a pretty strong piece for Oregon's offensive line last year. Um, but uh, I'm thinking that uh, Duck fans probably want to see Ryan walk back uh, ahead of that big matchup against BYU. You there, Mark? Yeah, I'm there, okay. yeah. Uh, okay. I didn't know if you had anything to say about that yeah. one, about, uh, about Harper. Not really much to say now. Okay, no worries. We got uh, a couple more here, and then we'll talk about the uh, the running backs. Cascadia Surfrider said, Ty looked good against a very inferior defense, but in the spring game against better competition looked bad. Hopefully he'll be ready for next year because there will be a five-star ready to roll next year. Yeah, I think that that's kind of one of the points that I'm getting at why uh, a lot of these um, 
a lot of these reps uh, and like, you know, a blowout game like this are so important because you're only going to have so many opportunities to get them in a game uh, unless Oregon can take care of business against some of these lesser Pac-12 teams down the road this season. Um, and then Dante Moore comes in, uh, probably going to be an early enrollee, you know, winter of 2022, uh, December, uh, January kind of guy. Um, and, and, you know, he's going to be hungry. Um, he's squarely in the mix of the best quarterback in the country right up there with, with Arch Manning and um, as well as uh, Malachi Nelson, a couple of guys that are, you know, really the cream of the crop in this class. But yeah, I think that, you know, Ty's showing in the spring game wasn't super encouraging, but to see him get some live reps against a team that wasn't Oregon, uh, I thought that still was, you know, an encouraging sight to see. And, and you got to just keep trying to get that guy reps, uh, put these games away early, and then get some of your developmental guys in there. Um, anything to add on this one, Mark? Yeah, I agree with all that. Like, um, for Ty, that's a huge confidence boost for being able to get out there and get live reps in, in an actual game, not just in the spring game, which some do argue that's just basically a glorified scrimmage pretty much. Um, but you see him being able to get out there and to get those live reps in, which is so important. And to kind of add a little bit about uh, Dante Moore with the, yes, he is a five-star come. Yes. He is a five-star coming in. Yes. He is a good quarterback with some uh, ranking services, having him um, as the number one quarterback over Arch Manning. But keep in mind also, college game and the high school game, two completely different animals. So while I agree Dante Moore will make that quarterback competition interesting, I do think Ty Thompson, um, barring anything crazy happening, I think um, would be the guy after uh, Bo Nix. And then Dante Moore would take uh, over after Ty. Well, that's another interesting point that you bring up, Mark, because... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Bo has another year after this if he does want to use it uh, because of uh, everything that happened with COVID. Because he came in as 2019, played 2019, 2020, which didn't count. So 2021, then 2022. So that's four, but really just three years uh, in terms of eligibility. But I think for Oregon's sake, you probably just want uh, you know Bo playing one season um, so you can stop going into the transfer portal. I think that's not a good long-term solution for Oregon. Uh, yeah. Their roster isn't built that way like some of these other powerhouse programs are. Um, so I just wanted to to bring that point in there. Um, before we get to a break, how about we talk about the running backs? Uh, because the running backs put on a show, 48 total carries for 263 yards as a team and four touchdowns. Um, Sean Dollars led the way with nine total carries. Uh, and it looks like a lot, you know, one of the early talking points, at least here in the season, is that Oregon kind of looks like a running back by committee, you know, to the fullest extent. Um, five total running backs uh, registered carries in this one. Um, we didn't see any of Jordan James, so you you would probably think that uh, he might be a little bit dinged up after leading the team in carries last week against Georgia. Um, but uh, Marquis Irving was pretty much the feature back, led the team in rushing with 74 yards uh, and a touchdown. And um, I, I think that I really liked what I saw from Marquis Irving and then Noah Whittington as well, who had eight carries. Um, they have been raved about throughout the offseason, and the staff had told us in spring ball that they're in a fall camp that, you know, they're, they're willing to use multiple backs. And I don't think that they're going to, you know, fall into this narrative of needing to have a number, a number one back, although I do kind of see it more down the line kind of uh, rotating into like a, a duo uh, you know, one-two punch that we've maybe seen in the past at Oregon with a third guy ready to go. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I kind of mentioned this a little on my uh, 
on the recap story, which is up on uh, the Vice Digest website. Um, just Oregon does have that running back committee. You don't, yeah, you don't have a Royce Freeman, a La Michael James, something like that. But you do have guys that have that consistently came out, showed up, came out and played really well. Like we said, Sean Dollars nine for fifty eight, no touchdowns. Uh, was not uh, um, was uh, at least attempts wise the leading rusher. Marquise, Ir- Marquise Irving eight for seventy four with a touchdown. Uh, Noah Winnington eight for twenty nine uh, and a touchdown. Uh, let's see here. And then you also, and then you have uh, Kilohana Hassenritter with seven for thirty-seven and a TD. Cardwell had seven for forty-eight and a TD. And yeah, you had these or you had these Oregon uh, running backs showing up, rotating rotating through, and really showing that you have that depth at the running back position. Uh, to know that you're good in case somebody goes down, next man up, uh, but also knowing that you have, yeah, all those different options that you can go to. Yeah, and Ritter had a, a really shifty touchdown, and he had some pretty good pop, uh, you know, in his runs against Eastern. Um, and then Byron Carwell, he had a touchdown through the air and on the ground. So um, it's been really cool to see him used more in the receiving game because that wasn't something we saw a whole lot last year. Obviously, Travis Dye was, uh, you know, the main guy for Oregon there. Um, and the main pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how well-rounded this running back room looks. Uh, Sean Dollars continues to look really, really solid. Um, got a, a really solid frame, especially coming back from that injury. That's what you want to see. Uh, you know, w- one of the top all-purpose backs coming out of high school. And, and he's looks like he's determined to, to pick up right where he left off. And, um, you know, he wants to be right there in the mix. Uh, and he led the team in carries. So uh, clearly uh, the staff definitely thinks pretty highly of him. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why, but it kind of feels like it was a quiet 263 yards. Um, maybe just because I didn't know that that was the actual number, but uh, also because, you know, Bonex threw five touchdowns. So I think that's kind of what led the way as far as the offense goes, the conversation around the offense, uh, what have you. So really, really good, really good showing from the Oregon running backs. Um, going to continue to see them rotate in, but as we get more and more into PAC 12 play here uh, with the last non-conference game, Mark, I'm going to be interested to see if, if we see uh, as much flexibility, as much rotation from the running backs. This was kind of the conversation we were having about the offensive line last year, which was rotating a bunch of pieces under crystal ball and mirror ball. But uh, now it looks like that's kind of trickled into the backfield a little bit. Um, just wanted to see if you had any more thoughts there on the running back before we get to break. I think um, this game might be kind of one of the, la- the last ones that we would see a running back co- by committee look. And I think that maybe just depends on, on how guys are doing uh, against this BYU team, because this BYU team uh, is going to be, I think a fair good challenge for Oregon. This is their last, I think real good test to see um, what they can, what they can do versus non-conference before you get in to pack 12 Really, you could say the only real test that they would have a shot at winning because I don't think anybody had uh, Oregon beaten Georgia. But I think, especially once you get into Pac-12 play, you're going to want to have that consistent. You're going to have want to have that consistency and that reliable um, guy to go guy to go to uh, at the running back position because, as we all know, conference conference play brings out a whole different. Uh, level play and a whole different uh, sense of urgency. 
I think. So I think Oregon's going to really want to have some more of those maybe uh, tightened up a little bit. Yeah, and Lanning said that there's still room to grow and that there's still more things they want to tighten up on offense. You know, he even said he wanted to have those 14 points back. Uh, we're about to get into uh, you know some of our thoughts on the defense, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish Podcast. we got more Oregon football talk for you guys, breaking down the Eastern Washington win and giving some of our thoughts ahead of the big game against BYU this week. Uh, but stick around, and we'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm Mark, I'm not Mark Wang. I'm Max Torres talking with my guy, Mark Wang. Uh, we were both on scene in Eugene at Autzen Stadium for the 70-14 to 14 beatdown uh, that the Ducks, uh, you know, handed the Eastern Washington Eagles. We just talked about offense and kind of some of our big thoughts there in the first half. Now we're going to switch and talk about some defense. But just to set the tone a little bit about how dominant of a showing this was, uh, Oregon allowed just 87 passing yards, and that was the first time, Mark, that they held a team under 100 passing yards since 2017 against Wyoming when the quarterback was Josh Allen, one of the most dominant quarterbacks in the NFL. So kind of just one of those stats that that makes you like, you know, rub your eyes a little bit because I was really surprised that the Wyoming offense looked as bad as it did in that game uh, when Oregon faced the Cowboys in Wyoming. And then um, so under, under hundred passing yards uh, for the Oregon defense and then 187 yards of total offense the first time they've held an opponent under 200 yards since Washington State in 2021, which was definitely one of their best showings of last season. 
you know, before the wheels kind of started to fall off uh, with some matchups against Utah and uh, Oklahoma and then the, all the coaching search craziness. Um, but yeah, I think overall, I'm, I'm just really excited about this defense. I think they could have had an even more dominant showing, which goes back to what Lanning was saying about wanting those, uh, wanting those 14 points back. Um, but you forced two turnovers, um, both through the air. So that was good. That was definitely an encouraging sign. Um, but I do feel like they should have gotten more pressure on the quarterback than they did. Um, because finishing plays is going to be a big thing. I think that was actually a comment, uh, a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, but they got a pair of sacks, I believe, uh, DJ Johnson and, um, Keith Brown. Al- and Keith Brown get in there, uh, to, you know, have a little bit of a party in the backfield, but pretty solid showing from the defense. But I do think they could have been even more dominant, even though the numbers suggest that it was a, a very strong performance. Yeah, that was a really strong performance by the Ducks. 48 total, uh, the defense totaled up 48 total tackles, 30 solos, two sacks, um, two tackles for a loss, two interceptions, and one forced fumble. Um, no quarterback hit. Um, oh, no, that is a bit misleading, actually. My bad. Um, but, yeah, like this Oregon defense show, showed up big after getting, quite frankly, exposed on national TV um, by, Georgia, by Georgia the other week. And I think we people kind of expected that, but it, but maybe people didn't expect it to be that bad. Um, but the Oregon defense, I think, uh, took that step to be able to I think of the fans of the college football will redeem itself after, after what happened. And you're right. Two, two sacks. Um, that's not a lot by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and you have, if I think if you're Oregon, you have to, you have to be more aggressive and get after those uh, the oppo- the opposing QBs. Keep them off their keep them off their feet. Keep them on their toes, so that you can kind of force the game pl- force the offense to have to change its game plan a little bit in order to be able to take that advantage. Especially when you get later down the line, impact uh, impact play. Heck, even against BYU because BYU is going to come out swinging. Uh, I believe they won a close one. I think it was 26 20 um, at the end of it, from what I heard. So if that's any indicate, any indicator, BYU is going to come to play, especially uh, on the road out here in Austin. Yeah. So two sacks, I, I was looking at the notes and I, I think that George, um, Casey Rogers also got credited with one, but it wasn't showing up on ESPN, but it was in my Oregon notes. Um so that was just the second sack of his career. But Casey Rogers has stepped up big for Oregon, I think. Uh, both him and Jordan Riley played a lot of snaps um, in both of these two opening weeks. Of course, the Ducks will be without Popo Amavai, it looks like, for the rest of the season. With a foot injury, he had a successful surgery. But as of right now, Dan Lane's telling us that it looks like he's going to be gone the entire season. Um, so Oregon's transfer pieces are, are showing up in a big way. Obviously in the trenches, those guys were, were very heavily involved in, in the Oregon's defensive effort. Also had Sam Taimani, who we have to talk about, uh, as well. Um, but if we're talking about transfer pieces, Christian Gonzalez showed up in a big way, uh, forcing a, a turnover, getting an interception on a long pass. Uh, there was some pressure created there. And I think that that really allowed Oregon's secondary to play with a little bit more freedom, um, and you know more confidence. A lot of pieces are still rotating in there, um, but I think that Christian Gonzalez in particular needed to have a big game, a bounce-back game for Oregon because 
he and a bunch of other Oregon defenders for that matter, were just really getting bullied, quite frankly, uh, you know, for most of that Georgia game. Um, and Oregon's going to need Christian Gonzalez to be a big piece as, you know, their, their lockdown corner. Um, really, really, you know, he, I think he landed on Bruce Feldman's freak list, uh, 6'2 guy with, you know, some serious speed, um, which you can never have too much of in, uh, in a secondary on a defense. That's something that Dan Lanning and Tosh Lapoy absolutely love. Um, but really good to see Christian Gonzalez get an interception there um, and just kind of shake things up for the defense because it would be, I mean, it was a really good performance overall. But I think that seeing the defense force two turnovers definitely made this feel like a better, more well-rounded win. And the tackling was a lot better, too. we got to give some props there for the tackling. And that's back to what you were saying that Lanyon hit on, doing simple better. Yeah, uh, speaking of that tackle number, like uh, I think I mentioned it uh, a little earlier, 48 total tackles uh, for this Oregon Oregon team. So lots of different guys uh, getting getting involved. Five guys with three tackles and nine different guys with two tackles um, on this Oregon te- on that Oregon team, uh, really all getting involved. And kind of going off what you said, Max, there just uh, some of those guys having those big ga- uh, having big games after getting bullied around by uh, this by that Georgia uh, offense. Um, Kind of like you mentioned, Christian Gonzalez, Christian Gonzalez uh, actually had one solo had one solo tackle, and then that one interception that he returned for 11 yards. He actually helped uh, set up Oregon with a short field to be able to score so right at the beginning of the second quarter. Uh, intercepts uh, Gunner Talkington and brings it back to the Eastern Washington 44, and it allows the Ducks to go down uh, the field and score. So, yeah, I think overall a great confidence booster for a defense or for this this defense um is it by all means uh their ceiling no because you've got a lot better teams uh coming up to play and i know um dan lanning uh mentioned that it's like they're nowhere uh at the post game press conference they're nowhere near their uh they're nowhere near where they could be the standard uh for oregon the standard is the standard and uh, they have a lot, and they do have a lot of work to do. Um, and while he did see some things, kind of like concerns and things from that Georgia game and from that week of practice addressed, um, he says that they're not where they want to where they want to be, and that they've still got um, a ways to a ways to go and some football to play. Yeah, it was good to see Christian Gonzalez make a play after that interception. You know, you gotta get uh, you want to have a, a playmaker in the secondary. And uh, I think that was one of the things that made Javon Holland and Verone McKinley so good is that after they got interceptions, they were able to pick up some really good yards after that. Um, and then Triquez Bridges got involved too, jumping the route. Uh, and then he almost had a pick six until he fumbled it at the two-yard line, but Casey Rogers hopped on it in the end zone. So really good to see those takeaways from Oregon, but um, by no means a perfect performance uh, at all. And, and Soccer Gods has another good comment here. Dear defense, if you get to the quarterback, put him in the dirt. BY's quarterback is slippery and then he will burn us if we don't finish the play and make the tackle. And that's one of the areas of growth that I think I really want to see from Oregon's defense throughout the season, getting pressure and then getting results, I think are two different things. And Oregon has not done a great job uh, in the past, at least, you know, the past season or so um, of finishing the play and getting the quarterback down to the ground. And, and part of that has to do with not over pursuing Part of that has to do with having the right guy on the field, having you know just as good of an athlete as the the opposition's quarterback, 
And, uh, and you know, they're, the BYU quarterback um, is, is very solid when it comes to just being an overall well-rounded player. Guy has some legs uh, to his game, no doubt about it. So I think that they're going to have to make sure they finish plays, don't over-pursue, don't arm tackle, and, and really just look like a team that's fundamentally sound and ready to, to make some noise in the backfield. Yeah, we saw a lot of the, uh, the arm tackling, the bad tackling in that, in that Georgia game. Um, so I know that that's absolutely one thing that um, Dan Lane is going to be uh, hitting on uh, over the the rest of the season, I think, especially in this this last week and most likely uh, in his next week uh, with BYU's uh, QB being a mobile being a mobile threat. And just I think just being ag- being aggressive and getting these guys behind the line of scrimmage is important uh, in this Eastern Washington game. Oregon's defense had. Five tackles for a had five tackles for a loss. Not uh, no no one guy getting more than just the one tackle for tackle for a loss. And I think if Oregon wants to be more aggressive, they have to really be able to get after opposing quarterbacks and running backs. And I think this BYU game will be a good chance uh, for Oregon to see that. Brian Erickson here staying on the, the similar vein. I think we will need to pressure BYU's quarterback a lot more, but also being able to contain him too. He is more of a threat to run than any quarterback we have faced yet this year. Uh, bringing up some of uh, Jaron Hall's stats here. Um, he ran for 307 yards on the ground last year on 62 carries, averaging f- almost five yards a pop. So he's absolutely going to be someone that uh, the Ducks have to account for as much in the passing game as they do in the run game. Um, so going to have to see, you know, that discipline is going to come into, into play here for Oregon, uh, on their defensive front on the front seven. Um, another interesting matchup that we're going to have to watch actually that someone mentioned here, uh, Gerard says, let's hope our left D end has a career day lining up against Kingsley Suomataya, Suomataya, uh, at right tackle for BYU. Cause I was watching that game and, uh, that late game against Baylor, and, uh, you know, BYU had a familiar face with Kingsley lining up, uh, making an impact for them on their offensive line. Um, so they're going to have some guys that Oregon's defensive line is going to have to, you know, counter with. But I think, you know, your combination of uh, Riley and Taimani and Rogers and then Dorless and Sewell and Flo at linebacker, I think that they definitely match up really well with BYU's defensive line, um, or sorry, offensive line. But a uh, cool note here from Gerard, you know, seeing that Kingsley's going to be uh, lining up across from Oregon this time, uh, of course, being a native of Utah, um, entered the transfer portal and ended up on uh, Kalani Sataki's squad for the 2022 season. I think probably the big, uh, the biggest um, matchup that I think we're going to want to see in that case is, yeah, Oregon's defensive line against BYU's offensive line is, and that being is, can Oregon's defense, defensive line, get through the offense, uh, power through the offensive line, get to the court, get to the quarterback and kind of, rattle him and not let him one use his legs and number two not completely burn Oregon's uh secondary which I think is still in the fans of a lot of people or in the minds of a lot of people is still kind of the the biggest concern for this uh or for this Oregon defense so can Oregon's defensive uh line be able to get uh through the or through BYU's offensive line to the quarterback yeah, they're going to have to get after uh, Jaron Hall. You know, get some hits on him early is kind of what I think is always a good way to go, Mark. Just kind of rattle him around um, and, and, you know, let him know that nothing's going to come easy. Um, but they're also pretty good. Um, 
they're also pretty good in the run game as well. So I think that BYU presents a very well-rounded matchup. Um, you know, a lot of capable guys. We're going to have to see if Nakua and Romney are able to play. Um, I think I saw someone comment that earlier on in the show. Uh, they were not available against Baylor, uh, but Puka Nakua is a name that Oregon fans should definitely know very well, um, seeing that he was uh, you know, not only at Washington last year, but also someone that Oregon was going after when he was coming out of high school. Um, so they have some very capable options there. Um, I think one of the other notes that I had here, and maybe we can get to some of these comments, Mark, is uh, just the, the young guys that were able to play on defense. We saw Keith Brown get a sack. He played a pretty decent amount last year because the Ducks were stretched pretty thin at linebacker. Um, but Sir Mel's played. He had a pass deflection. Um, Jaleel Florence and Jaleel Tucker both played. So I think it's, it's just really good to get those guys involved early. Um, and I think that some of them flashed just by, you know, getting out there as, as true freshmen and, you know, showing that they were able to kind of, you know, execute their assignments and also, you know, level up to that physicality of the college game, even though it is against, a, you know, an FCS opponent. That was kind of one of the last things that I had to say before we get to some of these comments. Yeah, you had uh, guys like, yeah, Darren, Bar- Darren Barkins, the freshman guy. Uh, I just had it. Um, I just had that. Uh, that's not it. Yeah, he had one pass breakup um, and one solo ta- and one solo tackle. Um, just being able to, yeah, get involved, getting in- getting involved, and contributing on one of three uh, pass breakups for the uh, for the Ducks uh, to go along with those two interceptions, which is always a good thing, and just being able to continue to develop a um, a second the secondary uh, to hopefully a much more complete unit and being able to see them also be set up well for the future, for the future going forward. Cause Oregon definitely has had its fair share of really good defenses, like the last couple like the last couple of years. And then not so great, de- not so great defenses with a lot of people saying that the defense this year was uh, particularly the secondary was one of Oregon's biggest uh, liabilities. And I, I think for from an Oregon perspective, you're hoping that this year's unit can make sure that they're not a bend, don't break defense. You know, we want to be a dominant defense that is able to hold up and get big stops and then also force turnovers because um, they forced a lot of turnovers last year, but they were almost turnover dependent in terms of just their big, big plays and, you know, staying in games and keeping opponents out of the end zone. So that's something that I think I want to see them grow on. One other guy that I think really stood out is standing out to me is Brian Addison. He's getting some pretty crucial snaps and important snaps um, as the Ducks still kind of try to work out and fill out that defensive back rotation in the secondary. Um, Dante Manning's getting a lot of run at corners, as is Triquez Bridges. Um, So it seems like, you know, that safety spot is the one that's kind of the most flexible right now for Oregon. Um, But Brian Addison is someone who's impressed me in the first two weeks, kind of just showing up, making some plays. Um, Let's see. I was thinking we get to some of these comments, Mark, and then we'll wrap up from there. What do you think? Yeah. Also, Addison uh, having the only forced fumble of the game for the for the Ducks weren't able to reco- weren't able to recover it, but uh, he was able to uh, get the ball loose. Absolutely. Yeah. He's he's stepping up to make plays when they need it. Uh, another comment here from Cascadia Surfrider saying the defense must set the edge because Bennett torched us for multiple third and longs and is not as mobile as BYU's quarterback, so they better be ready for that or it could be deja vu all over again. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely something that's been a big focus for Oregon since week one against Georgia, like setting the edge 
And then sitting on the edge on offense and defense, you know, Lenning talked last week about blowing up blocks, block destruction, and then also breaking tackles. So they're going to need to set the edge on defense and on offense because I think that BYU is going to be much more physical up front, much more experienced, much more productive than Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington had a couple guys here and there, but obviously Oregon made pretty quick work of them. So I think that I'm definitely in the vein of, you know, there's definitely good things to take away from that Eastern Washington game, but at the end of the day, you're beating up on an FCS team. Uh, so you can't make too much of it. Yeah, just note, uh, being up on an FCS team, can it be a confidence booster? Yes, but I think the biggest test uh, post-Georgia and pre-Pac-12 play, obviously, is going to be this this BYU team. And I think if, if Oregon can't set the edge on offense, um, then it could be a long day for Bo, for Bo Nix uh, back there because uh, when if Bo, Nix gets, if Bo Nix gets rattled, it could end up looking more like uh, like that Georgia game did, and then just being able to set the edge on that defense. Be ag- for Oregon, you have to be aggressive. You have to have more than I think two ta- two sacks and five tackles. Sorry, two sacks and five tackles for a loss. Uh, if you want to be able to to win some more of these big football uh, big football games, Oregon hosts Utah later this later this year, and I know definitely if they want a chance to win that game they're going to have to be aggressive i for for Oregon's sake they need to start now absolutely they do they're they're looking to take the momentum from this game and carry it over into BYU and then that doesn't get that much easier after BYU cuz Washington State just upset Wisconsin they have to go on the road to the Palouse to start off Pac-12 play uh, yeah. last question here from uh Christopher that I wanted to get into Mark you can give your take on this too but Christopher mm-hmm. says Max, what's more likely, Ducks cause two-plus turnovers or Ducks commit five-plus penalties? Um, well, let me see. I think I want to look at the team stats here in the in the BYU – or sorry, the um, Wazoo – the Eastern Washington game uh, to see how many penalties they had because they had six penalties for 55 yards. Um, but we also know how it, you know, it gets harder to play clean games and you're playing against tough opponents, so – Oh man, Mark, when you read this, do you say do you, so? Do you, do you read this as more than two turnovers or two or more? I read it as two or more, two or more. Um, and in that, in that case, oh, I almost have to say more likely to commit the five plus pen, the five plus penalties. Oregon had some close close calls. I. Forget who it was, but I know somebody got ejected for targeting that last game. Um, yeah, I think that was on, almost on the kickoff. Did. Yeah, and then, and then somebody, almost did. Yep, Leduc almost did. Um, so I think, and then I think just that plus the fact that they didn't necessarily play the play- the cleanest game against Georgia against Georgia. And you're right when you're playing a gritty team, especially a team that's got something uh, to pr- that's got something to prove. You've got to be care. You've got to be careful. And if Oregon's not, um, what's it? yeah, if Oregon's not as aggressive as they need to be, they're not going to get, I think, really many any ter- any turnovers. Um, but I do think uh, they are more likely yet to commit the five plus penalties. Yeah. So after talking about it more, I'm going to say uh, commit five plus penalties. Um, just because we did see some penalties against a pretty inferior opponent, even though it was a pretty dominant showing. Um, and I think 
we haven't seen them force a lot of turnovers or against a uh, a good team yet because they didn't force any turnovers against Georgia, but they were able to force turnovers against Eastern Washington. So I think right now, based off of what we've seen in the on-field product, I'm going to go with the latter. I think it's more likely that the Ducks commit five-plus penalties, but uh, I'm hoping they prove me wrong in, in this one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Mark, any final thoughts here before we get out of here on this episode? Yeah, um, I actually just found – the penalties uh, um, breakdown. Oregon's offense had five accepted penalties for 40 yards and one accepted for 15 on the def- on the defense. So that's six already right. So that's uh, six already right there. So definitely already over the five the, the five plus penalties. And if that's against a FCS FCS opponent, that could potentially be a um, or that could potentially be an indicator for against a BYU team, but who knows? All right, yeah. So we'll we'll see if they can clean things up on the penalty front uh, in this next game against BYU. But overall, final thoughts from me: um, I think that uh, I think that Oregon played a pretty good game against Eastern Washington. I don't want to make too much of it because it was an FCS team, but you love to see the offense firing all, all cylinders like that. Great confidence booster for Bo Nix, um, you know, playing like a veteran who has, you know, as much starting experience as he does at, at uh, an SEC school. Um, and then you like to see the the young guys also contributing on uh, on offense. Really like what we saw from the running backs in terms of just a lot of different people contributing um, and the tight ends getting used. That was awesome. Um, but need to see more pressure from that defensive front. I think that was uh, an underwhelming result in, in that category. Um, but you know, in terms of this BYU game, uh, going to be interesting to see what Dan Lane and the players have to say this week. I think you definitely head into this game with more confidence than you were feeling after the Georgia game. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to do. And I think that this game will ultimately kind of decide how things are looking for Oregon and their chances to, uh, you know, get back to that Pac-12 championship game and, and maybe even, uh, bring it home in 22. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, this is going to be, this is the big game um, at Oregon's at this point in Oregon season. It's your last non-conference game. It's against a good non-conference opponent, and it's the one non-conference uh, big game that you have the chance of winning. That you actually have the chance of winning, um, because again, I'm not trying to blast uh, Oregon in this way, but I don't think anybody really had them winning against Georgia. Winning against Georgia, so for Oregon, this is the big. This is the game where you need to step up and see and show what you are what you are made of if you want to have a chance to go up against or to go up and win against teams like a Utah who you have on the schedule this year, a USC who you would most likely be playing uh, in the Pac-12 title game at this point because right now USC is the is the class of the Pac-12 uh, bar none. Yeah, USC is looking pretty solid. I actually uh, gave some pretty in-depth thoughts on their big win over Stanford to open Pac-12 play under Leak and Riley. That is in the process of being uploaded for the Pac-12 Takeover podcast over on Takeover Sports Network. So if you guys haven't checked that out, uh, I also have a Pac-12 podcast. Before we get out of here, Mark, where can people find more of you, whether it be social media or you know your written stuff? Yeah, social media, uh, Mark W2016, as it says on the uh, on the tape or on the ticker right there. Um, and then also, um, follow, uh, check out some of the stuff uh, here on the Ducks di- or on the Ducks Digest page. Um, I had the pay- I had the uh, story 
on the breakdown from the game from the game and then working on getting uh some more stuff up uh hopefully soon all right right on make sure you guys tap in with mark if you want to find more of me you can follow me on twitter right there at m sports and um you can also find all my written content had an update with uh five-star defensive end slash edge rusher mateo uyunglele uh that's the most recent recruiting story over on ducks digest so you definitely want to see uh what's going on there huge target for oregon Dan Landing, Tosh Lapoy, the whole squad. Um, and then you can also find me on YouTube. If you guys are here watching live still, take a second out of your day, smash the like button, smash the subscribe button. It is a tremendous help to what we're doing here. And then last favor to ask of you guys, share the Ducks Dish podcast with your friends, family, and other Duck fans. Um, it's just been a, a blast growing this and looking to keep it going strong. So uh, that'll do it for us here on the latest episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks to Mark for hopping in on short notice. Always great to chop it up with you, man. And we will see you guys on the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.